Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a chief evangelist? That's what we're exploring at chiefevangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the head of dark social and evangelism at Chili Piper. He started his career in sales as an account executive, then transitioned into field marketing. He also co-founded a marketing community called Revenue Era and co-authors the Marketing Evangelist Newsletter. Arthur Castillo, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Ethan, I can't tell you how much of, a, of an honor this is. Um, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but you definitely influenced me getting this position and uh yeah, you've helped helped a lot in the career arc, so I'm I'm excited to be on this podcast here today. Awesome. I um first, thank you so much. It's uh it's a privilege and a pleasure to kind of, you know, I've learned from people who were kind of in this zone prior to me. In fact, it was uh interviewing four evangelists at the time that led to me even being here and uh and so this idea and I think it's natural to evangelism in general constantly learning and sharing teaching and improving and all of these things. So it's just part of a flow, but I appreciate um that I've been of some value to you uh, because so many people have been of value to me too. And I appreciate you being here. I, the way, I mean, even before we hit record, some of the way you were talking about the way you think about your role and like, I haven't thought about it quite that way. And it's a conversation we haven't had on this podcast yet. And I think this is going to be episode 17. So without getting uh, too far ahead, um, I'll start with our open standard opener, which is uh, what is the most important role or the most important job of a head of evangelism? Such a great question. Such a great place to start. Um, I, in my mind, talking problems that you solve and that exist in the market that others might not even be aware of. So I think um, when you look at the universal buyer's journey, we almost play in the first three stages of unaware, aware, and consideration. I think that is where an evangelist lives. And you're trying to move those buyers through those stages and get them to think a little bit differently teasing out a little bit of the, the desired future state so they can look at the status quo and say, huh, maybe I should look into what this person or company is talking about so I can dig a little bit deeper, become more problem aware to the point that we can kind of get them a little bit over the line to, to solution aware and in the sales. Love it. So we're going to talk a little bit of uh, customer marketing, which is really post-sale Um mm-hmm. Which is interesting because now I feel like now you're covering the whole funnel in different in different ways. Uh, but before we get there, like, why do you think evangelism is on the come up in general? First of all, do you feel like evangelism is on the come up? That is presumptuous on my part, but do you feel like it is? Do you feel like there's more conversation around it, more movement around it? If so, why? You know, what are some of the reasons you think that's happening? Yeah, and I guess this. Um... <laughs> In a way, Ethan, I feel like I've almost been manifesting this evangelist role since I ever even got into sales because I've looked at sales a little differently, I think, than maybe a traditional sales rep in that I always wanted to be a respected voice. I didn't want it to come across as I have something for you. It was all about how can I learn about your world, understand your problems that you're facing, how do you make revenue, what are the blockers to revenue? And then once I understand that and I'm I'm on the same level, only then can I actually start to pitch. Because I think until you contextualize that problem and understand your buyer's world, they're not ready for that pitch. It's going to go over over their head. So I think part of the reason as to, to why I switch over from sales to marketing is the changing of buyer behavior before um, you almost have to engage with the sales rep, right? To, to learn, become problem aware. I think now in today's day and age, the way we are consuming content more natively on the social media platform. We have access to peers that we haven't been able to before. I mean, LinkedIn was probably a digital resume five, 10 years ago. And now it's like, hey, I have a problem. I can message 10 other uh, chief evangelists, head, heads of evangelists about how are you thinking about um, reporting your success and different things like that. And I can have a 
a whirlwind and maybe some of them tell me, hey, they use three different tools and now all of a sudden I'm going to go check out those tools. So I think the way that buyers are engaging with um, in, in B2B specifically and what they're doing prior to even saying, hey, I want to talk to your sales team, that actually scared the hell out of me when I was in sales. And I was noticing this change in that people were much more educated and it wasn't about necessarily telling them about certain problems. It was digging a little bit deeper and taking them a little further. So I think we have to follow what the buyers are doing, right? The customer is always right. And if we're noticing this buying behavior, we have to approach how we're getting them to think differently about the status quo and then teasing out that um, desired future state. That's why I think it's picking up steam. I think we're just following along with what the buyer is asking for in their buyer's journey and how they want to be approached and educated before they take that next step in actually um, evaluating your product. So good. The it, it reminds me of like, I feel like there's been a background theme. I spend a moderate amount of time on Twitter and on LinkedIn, and I feel like I've been seeing this theme increasingly over the past, say, 18 months or so of essentially the B2B uh, sales and marketing playbook is exhausted. Um, it's, it, it needs to evolve. What is it going to evolve into? There are some different themes emerging around that. Um, but I think that evangelism fits into that zone a little bit, um, to walk it out maybe a little bit more, uh, because I know you're also, you spent a lot of time in a lot of conversations between, um, that community that you built, some of the other communities you're involved in the time that you do spend on social, the fact that you, uh, probably still have aspects of field marketing and what you're doing, whether it's in your title or not, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're out and about, um, how do you think um how do you think sales is adapting to this change? How do you think marketing is adapting to this change? And and specifically I'm asking that uh not for tips for sellers and marketers, but really why event like what unique aspect of the gaps that are that are starting to emerge uh whether it's a tired playbook or whether it's a change in buyer behavior or both. Um what gap does evangelism fill in between like a traditional sales team and a traditional marketing team. I'm sure there's adaptations going on there, but like this evangelist, like for example, um, I just had a conversation with a woman who's found herself in an evangelist position because uh, a VC firm that, you know, they're, they're telling their portfolio company CEOs, you need to start looking at evangelism, find an evangelist and appoint them to the role. And it's <laughs> like, this is happening for a reason. So like, they're not saying that for, I'll take that out one step further to make it super obvious where, what I'm fishing for here, which is they're not saying, Hey, buyer behavior is evolving. You're uh, Hey, CEO of our portfolio company. Uh, you need to start talking to your heads of sales and heads of marketing and have them adapt to these changes. They're saying, look at your staff and figure out who an evangelist might be like, why? Um, so how is evangelism different from sales and marketing as we're all trying to navigate into the best way to serve people, do discovery, um, create problem awareness and start solving some of those problems with people? Yeah, um, you're right. You, you hit on so many things there. I think mm -hmm. from a marketing lens, this is really interesting because I'm, I guess I'm under the umbrella of marketing now. And from that perspective, I'm hearing a lot of, I don't want to say old school marketers, but people that have come up in marketing saying, hey, this playbook no longer works. And I think traditionally, I know some marketing teams are still being held to this, where it was just about leads, getting people either to commit their email, securing that and giving something off to sales so that they can go chase. That no longer works in today's world. There's a bunch of providers that can you can get it for 10 cents on uh, for, for every email. So it's almost more cost-effective to use tools like Zoom Info, Clearbit, whatever, whatever you're using there. Um, so marketing's job is changing in that they can't just say, hey, we got these emails and we're going to pass them over to sales because then sales looks at it and says, these people aren't even maybe problem aware, unaware, whatever it is, I can't do anything with this. And they actually like uh, ignore that. So I think marketing's role is, is really changing and not enough marketers look down funnel enough to say most of them just either website form fill and that's where it ends sometimes they even say hey demo booked but what we're even noticing is not many even see okay with the demo was booked was it even held right and okay it was held did it turn into revenue that's where i think marketing is starting to change 
I think um, for sales, in a way, I, I don't know, I'm biased because I've always looked at it from this perspective, but to me, it wasn't enough that I had a product to sell to, to someone. And it is more about, and I think the, what we have to change absolutely is that typically, if you think about if marketing has done their job, they get onto the website, they get a buyer excited about potentially engaging with the sales rep. What's often that first touch point for that buyer's experience with a junior sales rep that doesn't know how to answer any of their questions that can't even show off the product. And they're just firing off their own company centric list of questions that is self-serving to them. And it's such a bad experience for buyers to the point that that's why they do want to educate themselves so much more. Cause I think by the time they reach your website, they are ready to have that conversation. Um, so I think we really have to look at on the sales side, are we giving them the experience that they're asking for, which is being able to answer their questions, being able to show them the product often in that first call and not having six calls before you can even share pricing. And I think on the marketing side, it's it's more that narrative, right? It's no longer about, hey, we got you with maybe a little bit of bait and switch onto our website through an ad. Uh, we captured that. It's getting them to think very differently about their current world and how you could potentially help out a little bit more. So I think the evangelist lives in between both of those, um, both of those roles, right? Where it also feels, and you probably get this a ton, it's almost like the the employee brand is becoming a little bit or just as important as the employer brand. And people fear, feel so much more of a connection to that individual than they would to a brand like Chili Piper Bomb Bomb. So I think, again, following alongside with what buyers want, they seem to engage and they seem to resonate with the words that are coming from this evangelist that they're saying, hey, the way you described that problem really resonated with me. It's exactly what I'm going through right now. It's almost like we're joining the conversation in their heads, which I think ultimately is, is great copywriting. And that's where I think an evangelist sits right now. I'm sure as this role progresses, um, both teams, marketing and sales can learn a little bit from them because I think we live like almost in that handoff phase. Um, I know a lot of the time evangelists are talking to the wider public, the, the 97 to 99% that are unaware of your product or the problem that you solve. And we're trying to evangelize that. And I think that's so important, but I know the other angle we covered is, hey, maybe somebody actually has already purchased from you and now they want to learn more about how your best customers are using it. And I think evangelism plays a little bit into that too. So I don't know, a lot there. Yeah, absolutely. The absolutely there is, and I think that the phrase that I think uh, resonates with me in terms of what's broken is um, kind of the bait and switch. Even if it's done with you know good intent, it's this idea of and and you started off this way too of like like capturing an email and and whatever. Um, I think we all know as buyers and investigators and researchers trying to decide. Do I need the solution? Do I need the solution now? Who are the providers? What are the differences between the providers? We're doing a lot of that work ourselves as buyers. Mm -hmm. And we know enough to stand back enough. Um, I, I just went through the process of buying a car. And it's the same thing. You know, I, I know exactly what's going to happen if I inquire for the air quote internet price on this vehicle. I'm going to get calls. I'm going to get texts. I'm going to get emails. I might want that, but I'm sure as heck going to read consumer reports. I'm going to look at the inventory um, in the population at large. I'm going to look at the inventory in a subset, which is say something like CarMax, um, where, you know, they have a pretty big national inventory that they can bring to your local market. And, you know, I'm going to do all that work in advance. And so this idea of having a person who uh, I'm not going to be a number in their quota, whether it's a lead mm -hmm. quota or a, you know, a pipeline quota or a sales quota or whatever, um, to help answer some of the questions that I maybe can't answer on my own or think about it differently. I mean, one of the themes that's emerged in these uh, uh, conversations on this podcast is kind of preparing the market to buy. How should we even be thinking about this problem? How should we be evaluating solutions? And not in a manipulative way to say, you should be thinking about this problem exactly the way we think about it, but instead to say, this is how we think about this problem. 
you know, you might think about it the same way. And if so, let's continue the conversation. And so, uh, yeah, you did cover a lot of ground. It triggered a lot for me. Um, where I'd like to go now is um, I observed, you know, uh, we connected sometime in mid-2022, I think, and I'm glad we did. Um, mm -hmm. I noticed that you transitioned from sales into field marketing. And here we are now talking about evangelism. Um, and I feel like field marketing relative to, you know, traditional, say, digital marketing or traditional demand gen or some of the other more familiar marketing roles to people that aren't familiar with field marketing has a lot of elements of evangelism. And um, mm -hmm. as someone who's done it, I've, I've done field marketing, but not with that title. Like I went to a ton of conferences and trade shows. I was hand selling in the booth, but I was also doing the kind of you know, rah-rah around it on social and in, in halls and supporting, you know, our friends and advocates by showing up at their, you know, their presentations and recording them and putting the clips up and all these things like, yeah. um, and, and when I look back on that, I feel like, okay, that's, it's got elements of community. It's got elements of, um, pre-sales conversation, meeting people before they even know that they're maybe in market, these kinds of things. Um, do you buy my philosophy that uh, field marketing shares a bit in common with evangelism? If so, how and why? Like, I feel like your experience, your, your transition into field marketing um, probably teed you up for this move into evangelism. I do. I do buy it, Ethan. Um, and I never really thought about it until this conversation, but you're absolutely right. I think it was already happening on some level of the activities that we're doing. So we did have the traditional trade shows and conferences that we would go to. Um, and of course, there's a huge opportunity there that I think that may, I think this playbook will change in 2023 and, and um, years down the line where you have so much talent there. How are you using that? So we started actually film content there. And I think there's a little bit of an evangelist play there. Um, whether you're getting them to talk about maybe your strategic narrative or a problem you solve and getting them live to, to like share their ideas around that. Um, but then the other thing that we've really doubled down on, on the field marketing side is this idea of micro events, small, intimate executive dinners. And I think that's another form of evangelism. How I almost think about um, evangelism and the, one of the best ways to do that is with your customers. So what we wanted to do, I think there's, there's a lot of variables in terms of why I think it was successful. One of them was the timing. I think during the pandemic, obviously everybody was, was uh, locked up and they communicated with a lot of their peers digitally, LinkedIn, Slack communities, um, whatnot. But we knew there was going to be a time that people were itching to get back in person. I don't think you can replace the magic of in person. So we thought to ourselves, okay, let's be at the forefront of that. Let's let's have these micro events that um, bring together our customers and our potential buyers, and getting them to speak organically amongst each other as peers was absolutely, um, I think probably one of the, the most important things that I'm, I'm looking to do in my role now is how do we create more of those environments where we have our raving, uh, raving fans or our chili champions, as we like to call them in a room with our potential buyers. Um, I think there's no better form of evangelism than your customers. So how do we, how do we continue to create that? Um, and that's something that we've come to see has been very successful. I remember I saw um, Hillary Carpio in particular sell a co-founder in like two sentences. And I'm like, I don't know how the heck you did that. I've never been able to do that. She said something that I wish I recorded or like jotted down because right after the co-founder was like, oh yeah, that's a no brainer. And then a month later, the deal closes. So I was like, holy moly, we're, we're onto something here. How do we create more of these? Um, so you're right. I had never really thought about it in a way that field marketing is, it can be an extension of evangelism, but it actually has shaped the dark social piece as well. And, and the evangelist piece to the point where now I'm thinking, how do we create more of those opportunities that we can get our customers engaging with our potential buyers? And it's peer to peer versus somebody staying on stage and saying, Hey, this is why you need to look into Chili Piper or Bomb Bomb or whatever. It just comes across as more self-serving. Whereas if you're hearing from a peer, it just packs so much more of a punch. Um, so that's what we aim to do with our field marketing program. And, and you're absolutely right. I still am very involved in those dinners. I'm often leading those discussions. I'm often the face of the company there representing us, um, trying to make sure that they have a good brand interaction with us. And 
maybe we talk about something there. Maybe they learn something from their peers there that gets them to take the next step into um, becoming more solution aware. So good. I really appreciate, like it, it takes a little bit of a leap of faith. By the way, you got me all fired up on peer to peer. It's like, it, it, I, I'm currently weighing whether or not that should be my background theme for, for the rest of the year here. Um, th this idea of uh, the leap of faith of letting people have a conversation that you can influence, you facilitated, but you don't control it at all. I, mm -hmm. I would guess that at that dinner, there's probably 90% of the conversation has absolutely nothing to do with Chili Piper, but you still facilitated it and you're still creating the opportunity for some of that to happen. Uh, and in the meantime, as you already said, I mean, you said you wish you had recorded it or written it down. You're still learning and having direct contact with the people that are your, some of them are your champions and some of them are your potential champions. A qu quick, quick, very specific question. Mm -hmm. Do Chili champions know that they're chili champions or is that something you refer to them as internally like where, where like how formal is that like is that do i if i'm a, if i'm a great chili piper customer do i know that i'm a chili champion or is that something that you and in your team and the field marketing team started using to kind of characterize people that were like ardent fans and uh and good referral people i think it probably started as an internal term um it just felt really, really good. Um, we actually do have a Chili Champions affiliate program, so now it is formalized. Um, I think we we probably have reference to referenced um, to our customers sometimes as Chili Champions. So I'd say maybe 70% of them are aware that they're Chili Champions. Um, and then we have different programs where we're, we're getting some of these Chili Champions. And then we I focus a lot on our customer advisory board and um, we can get into that if, if you'd like, where we split into like five different groups, but they, they do have um, some of them uh, part of our partner rep share program. So we're also realizing how much value that what they do brings. And if they're happy with the, the solution, the product, we know that they're already speaking to their peers about it how do we amplify and empower them even more and, and cut them in on the upside because they're already providing us some of the leads that close at the highest rates that we've seen so again how do i guess i as a head of head of dark social evangelism create more of those opportunities where we can amplify the voices of our our chili champions so that it can come back so i think they i think they're aware Okay, cool. I am going to take you up on that customer advisory board just because we're at the step of peer to peer. And then I really want to get into mm -hmm. head of dark social and evangelism. How did it come to be? What does it mean? And and what are some of the uh, activities and uh, that type of thing that we haven't covered yet? But because we're right here in this kind of peer to peer conversation, um, mm -hmm. because the customer advisory board isn't just about you and them, it's about them and each other. That's why mm -hmm. they're aboard together. You're not just doing customer interviews. So give us give us a couple words on customer advisory board, things you learned along the way, maybe a tip to get started and or a tip to take a uh, maybe a, a flat or languishing customer advisory board program or project and fire it back up. Anything you have to share there? A couple of practical things. Yeah. And I, I want to hit on something you just said there. It's it's almost about them and the, the community of the people there that it is about us. And we've surveyed um, our, we have five different groups, by the way. Um, we have an executive level. We have, we kind of go across different personas. So we have a RevOps group. We have a demand gen group. Those typically tend to be our, our strongest buying groups. Then we lean so much into community and we sponsor so many communities that we have almost like a cross community um, a customer advisory board group, and I manage the one, I guess we called it sales individual contributors slash influencers. Um, so that's the, the breakdown of how we look at it. But what we've noticed across every single group that we manage is it's not, it can't be as self-serving. They actually like getting in the group. And sometimes I know for mine, it was almost like the LinkedIn who's who and everybody like, wow, I've never been in the same room as everybody here. And really where we started to see the magic happen of engagement was serving them first. I can't tell you how understated that is. And it's funny, we've, we've even had this discussion recently with some of our, our CEOs, um, some of the people that manage the groups where 
in a way they thought, hey, they agreed to be part of our customer advisory board. We want to get positioning feedback, product feedback from them, all of those. Um, but every single time we've surveyed them, they say one of the biggest pieces of value is being with their peers and hearing what they're working on. So one, one tip that we've really used well in terms of an icebreaker to encourage a lot of cross collaboration is, hey, what's something that you need help with right now? It was so cool to ask that question and people were saying what was top of mind for them. And then somebody was saying, oh my gosh, I'm working on the exact same thing. Let me, let's me meet offline and I can share with you how I've done that. Or one guy was like, I'm trying to think of a, a really unique way to do outbound. And somebody else said, hey, I have like two or three ideas. So it was really cool to see them come together. And I think it serves as such a good way to get into maybe the self-serving part of the product positioning and, and um, feature feedback, whatever it is, because now all of a sudden you got everybody engaging. There's this psychological safety, the social norm that, hey, we can actually engage with each other. This isn't all about Chili Piper. And once we get them a little fired up about all of that, now we can actually use that momentum to get even better product feedback and, and get them thinking in different angles. So I think that's probably the most important piece. I am willing to guess that most customer advisory boards are very self-serving and saying, hey, this is what's next up on the roadmap. How do you look at this? Um, do you have anybody in your network that could benefit from this? And it's not about who the members in the room are and how do you get them to engage? And it was just so fascinating when we surveyed them, they were saying one of the biggest pieces of value was just that peer-to-peer -peer interaction engagement and seeing them take that offline outside of our, our cab meeting groups has been really cool. And I think has led to even more engagement from our cab members. So that probably would be my number one tip in terms of if you're thinking about a customer advisory board, what's in it for them, right? Mm -hmm. It can't be about you're cutting them in on something or you're giving them equity. Those are all nice pieces. Don't get me wrong, but ultimately, if you really listen to it, people just love to hear from other peers and understand what they're doing, what are some of their challenges, maybe how they can help, maybe how they can receive help. I love starting our customer advisory board meetings with that question of what's something you need help with. It, it was magical to see how they, they engage with each other. Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of Chief Evangelist, let's get back to it. I love it. And when you already have a community of people who believe in you and you're solving some of their problems, then the the path to growth is solving more of their problems or solving their problems more completely. So even if it's not direct product feedback, it's it essentially is product feedback or it's or it's roadmap inform uh, informing. Yeah. Uh, really quickly, is is this Slack? Is this Zoom? Is this in person? Is it some of all of the above? Um, Yes, uh, we, we do try and have a separate Slack channel for each of these groups. Um, and that's more updates, I'd say. We we look at quarterly Zoom meetings for now. Would love to do one in person. And we're thinking about doing it by group. But right now, it's just uh, Zoom and Slack. Cool. Um, all right. So I, we've already teed it up a little bit. I said it in the opening line of the introduction. We've talked about it a couple of times. You've mentioned it a couple of times. Head of Dark Social and Evangelism. Talk about your path over the past few years at Chili Piper and how you landed in this role. What was going on for you and what was going on for the company um, that made this the right role for the company and you to be the right person for that role? Yeah. And and I'd love to take it from, I guess, how I approach sales because I think this yeah, please. can help shape a lot of future evangelists. Um, I, I do believe there's a ton of sales reps out there that are maybe a little bit more creatively inclined and aren't as coin operated as, as people would seem to think. And it's more about how do they, they offer value to their buyers and become like a, a trusted advisor versus somebody that just has a product to sell them. So that's how I've always approached sales. I've worked in different verticals. I'm glad to be working with sales and marketing professions, um, industry agnostically, but 
worked in real estate, I tried to understand real estate brokerages, how they make money, what are the different business models, what's blocking them for money, and then using that knowledge to inform my sales conversations to the point where I would hear people say something like, wow, this has been so refreshing. This is, this is how sales should be done, right? It, was, it, it did become more of that peer-to-peer trusted advisor. Um, so that's almost always how, I, how I've approached sales. Then I started realizing um, a lot of this talk amongst peers was happening on LinkedIn, right? Uh, natively on the social media platform. So I tried to join in on that and not necessarily from a posting perspective either. One of the things that I would always aim to do was, okay, if I'm selling to real estate brokers, if I'm selling to car dealership um, owners, if I'm selling to dental, um, dental care owners, who do they listen to in the industry? Who is that voice that people say, hey, this that's really interesting, engaging content, and then engage with that person or maybe even engage with their comment on that person's post or, or blog, whatever it is. So you're joining the conversation that's already happening and how they're getting influenced. I was doing all of these things as a sales rep. And what had happened was we had this coffee buddies thing at Chili Piper and I got paired up with our former director of demand gen. And I remember at the time, I think she had a post uh, go viral or whatever that means. And I was excited to ask her about it. And the first question she asked me when we hop on that call is, dude, you're killing it in LinkedIn communities. I want to learn from you. And it kind of took me, took me aback a little bit and we just started vibing so much and she realized how much I liked marketing to the point at the end of that call, she's like, do you mind if I ask the VP of sales, if I can steal 10 to 20% of your time, I think you could be really valuable. And over time, it actually became a three month like recruiting period where they're pitching different roles to me and saying, Hey, I think you could, um, you can do social media or you can do field marketing, or maybe we can get you in a content role to the point where once I actually met with our CEO, he was like, do you know you've been referred for every marketing open marketing position? And like the marketing team would just love to have you. And I was like, wow, I feel honored. So I think what I'm trying to get at there is you can do the job before you've ever had it and people will notice. And I can't understate the importance of working cross-functionally. It just started with a coffee chat with our director of demand and she was the one that was willing to take a bet on me and say, hey, I know you've never done this before, but I think you could do really well in marketing. I think another thing along part of the reason why I made the jump and we hinted at it a little bit was buyer behavior was changing. And if you look at the universal buyer stage where it's unaware, aware, consideration. That's what I consider your prospects. And then at the end, it's um, evaluation and and purchase or decision. Um, Sellers should more or less work on those last two stages. And I think marketing should, marketing or evangelism should work on those first three. But buyers were almost getting through those first three stages without ever even talking to sales rep. And it did scare the heck out of me in that I was like, okay, how do I, as a seller, if I'm not involved in these communities and hearing what my buyers are talking about, if I don't have a good network that's willing to refer me, I don't think I'm going to sell anything in five years. So I do believe that the future of sales is going to be more about guiding a group of people and ensuring that they know how it's going to affect them in their day-to-day and, and getting them to purchase. Whereas I think marketing is going to start influencing more of that buyer's journey. It's not enough to, to just send um, emails, but it's getting them to think a little bit differently. So that was my journey and what I was seeing, why I wanted to jump from sales to marketing. And as it so happened, um, field marketing was a gap that we had. Nobody was really owning it. So they're like, let's put you in field marketing. You're really good customer facing. You can pitch at trade shows. You can speak to our customers, you know, this language. We always wanted to scale that program and we got into really a low cost acquisition channel because um, one of the other things that we did was offer sponsorship to some of these events that would offset our cost to the point where our data team was saying, I don't know what the heck you guys are doing, but how do we do more of it? And we're like, please tell that to our CEOs because we're trying to get more headcount and everything. Now, in terms of my strengths and weaknesses, I've always been very honest about them. And as fun as it was building the field marketing team from scratch, I knew I wasn't that person that was super organized on top of things, knew the logistics. Um, That was something that I always struggled with. So finally, we had enough data to present to our CEO that um, this was really working. 
and they gave me the, the go ahead to hire another field marketer. Now, the person we landed upon, she was amazing. She had much more years of experience than I did in field marketing to the point where we felt very comfortable passing this off. And as luck would have it, I read your article maybe a month before we started um, looking to, to fill that field marketing role. And I had planted the seed, tried to incept my, my manager at the time, VP of brand and community around this evangelism role. And I said, look, there's one quote in your article. I can't remember who exactly it was, but I think the CEO told them something like, I don't know what it is, but when you're in front of customers, good things happen. And I always felt that way too. So I started telling him, I think this is where I can have the most impact on Chili Piper if I go down this evangelist route. So we found the right field marketer. We, we had this idea of an evangelist role. And as luck would have it again, uh, luck strikes twice. We were getting ready to pitch this role to our founders, me and my VP of branding community. And they had just spoken with the CEO that said, we don't do like any paid ads or anything like that. We've managed to grow from, I don't know, let's call it one to 10 million, almost strictly through evangelism. And they're telling us this and we're like salivating. We're like, oh my gosh, you're going to love what we have in store. So I think the journey of how I, I kind of came up doing the job before it happened, having the confidence to pass off what we had built to somebody else. And then as luck would have it, our CEOs just heard from another CEO how much that they grew through evangelism. It was like the perfect storm. And we pitched the soul and they're like, yes, absolutely. We need it. And uh, yeah, we think you'd be the right person for it. So that's how it came about. Love it. That's a, such a good story. Um, two calls back to previous conversations on the show. You, in, in talking about the way you approach sales, it reminds me of uh, our mutual friend and my guest on episode two of, of Chief Evangelist, Jen Allen. Yeah. I asked her about the future of evangelism and she was like, I think it should just plain go away because this is how every seller should sell. And you basically said the same thing, but just not as like, you know, it wasn't stated in, in as, as hardcore a manner as that, but it's essentially the same spirit, which is this is how people should be selling. And so once these behaviors uh, are adopted by more sales folks, then perhaps the need for this will fade because 15 people are doing it, not just, you know, one or two people kind of guiding it, carrying the torch. So maybe we are trailblazers um, for a new way of working inside our organizations and across organizations. Um, and it's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is kind of like understand, normalize and create more awareness so that it doesn't take necessarily just a peer-to-peer -peer conversation that there's a reference point to say, oh, someone else told me about evangelism. Let's go look at that. And then there's more than this article that I wrote, you know, almost four years ago now, by the time we publish this, I'm sure it will be four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just out of pure curiosity. And that that idea that you communicated there uh, was from Dan Steinman, uh, chief evangelist at Gainsight. And uh, he's, mm -hmm. he's uh, our guest on episode 10 uh, of this podcast. And he tells the story of when he went to his CEO to try to quit. And the CEO was like, well, I don't know about that because the same thing you were saying about field marketing, well, a little bit different, but he like, he had built the customer success organization at Gainsight, the customer mm -hmm. success company. And he was like, I'm just not really an operator of a big old organization like this. It's not who I am. It's not really, I think there's someone better to do this. And so he went to a CEO with that and he was like, well, all I know is every time you're in front of people, you know, it's a value to the, to the company. And so let's find a way to get you in front of more people. Um, okay. Really, really quickly, dark social. Mm -hmm. I feel like mm -hmm. it's one of those terms that, um, there's a common maybe understanding or misunderstanding and definition, and then a more nuanced and meaningful one. I think when people get stuck at the uh, misconception or the kind of the popular misunderstanding or understanding of it, they can easily dismiss it. Um, give me a quick sell on the concept of dark social. What is it? Why does it matter? Okay. I don't think it's anything new. I, for those listening, let's categorize it as word of mouth. The difference is in the maturity of the internet and the frequency at which we engage. So we're talking about trade shows. That was maybe the, let's call it the original dark social where once a year, two times a year, I would get to be in a room with my peers where we could talk about our challenges and opportunities. Now we have Slack communities. Now we have LinkedIn where we can engage daily. So the frequency at which is happening is the biggest piece that I think marketers have rebranded this as dark social. So this is really 
always existed. It's just the frequency at which it exists and the access we have to our peers, where before we had to get budget from our, our COOs to say, hey, this is worth going to the trade show. We're going to get some leads. But deep down inside, we're like, oh, I can't wait to meet with my other peers. I think the, the frequency at which it happens and the channels and the access we have to our peers is how we've rebranded it as dark social. And this is where the buying conversations are happening. The evaluations are happening. Um, a lot of the buying triggers. So it's it's so important in today's buyer journey. Uh, and so just to tie it to evangelism a little bit and where we've been so far in this conversation, um, the dark part of it is the traditional sales and marketing function is blind to it. That's the dark part. It's happening outside. Like, I'm learning and considering and thinking and becoming problem aware without talking to your salesperson. So it's not in any notes. Let's just say it's a good salesperson. They actually take notes when they're doing discovery calls. Um, <laughs> it, it's it, That's the dark part of it. Yeah, the, absolutely. And I think the the other dark part of it is marketers trying to attribute everything, but you can't when these conversations are happening. And what it, so then what does your software tell you, right? Me and you have a great conversation at a trade show. I tell you, hey, go check out this product. Then you type it in Google or maybe you, you type in the URL and it's it surfaces as direct organic. And then we see that and say, hey, we need to invest more in direct and organic. That's not the case. It actually originated from this conversation. So I think that's that's also the dark part is that we can't really see where it originated from. We know it's happening and our our attribution software is telling a false narrative that hey, we should actually invest in this where maybe it actually you should invest in trade shows because that's where the the buying or the demand generation was was actually created. Awesome, good ad. Um so that we're right at the doorstep of this one too then. So as the company says, okay, this makes sense to us. We're hearing from our peers that we should be doing something in this zone of evangelism. We've got this guy who's committed to the brand. He understands sales and marketing. He was a salesperson himself. So he was the persona, which I always love that story, right? Like mm -hmm. um, what a better person to kind of engage with these folks and to do some education and discovery and things like that on, on behalf of the brand. Uh, as someone who's been in that seat of, of some of your uh, primary buyers also on the marketing side. Um, what, how did you, when, when you all agreed, all right, um, Arthur is going to be head of dark social and evangelism in general, what I'm picking up on here, I didn't state this explicitly is this idea of, uh, attribution is hard and sometimes mm -hmm. it's, it's absent completely. And that requires a little bit of a leap of faith, especially for a more old school or traditional thinker around these things, um, how did you define success and or how do you measure success? How do you and the people around you say, this is working, this is good, in light of the fact that so much of what you're doing um, lacks direct attribution or, yeah. or easy attribution? Like there's there's an intuitive leap there. Yeah. Um, it, it brings me back, and I'm, I'm so grateful for this, to a quote that Dave Gerhardt said, where it's, life's too short to work for CEOs that don't understand marketing. And they really bought into this idea of dark social and this was happening. So in a way, they, they gave us a lot of grace to experiment. Now, obviously, we do want to see whether or not it's working. I think part of it came from our extension of field marketing, where we knew we were doing these events that um, dark social was happening at, where we're, we're getting our, our customers to interact organically with our potential buyers. And we would we could measure that right we would see okay these many people showed up um we would talk with with our chili champions after to see if there was any discussions ha have being held there and then we could see um what happened after those events so that was kind of the the first measurable piece that they're saying hey this already works we want you to continue to be that face um and have weaving that thread of evangelism throughout our field marketing efforts now um there's to me, I we talked about it uh, earlier on the call. Like, how do we get our best sales reps, which are our customers, amplifying their voices and empowering them? So now I'm also looking at it from a perspective of can I create engaging content? Maybe it's even just like an AMA where it's like, hey, 20, 30 minutes, this is how this person uses our product, and now creating an AMA with more so maybe our customers, but even those that are curious to see how one company uses our product in particular and they can say, huh, I never really thought of it that way. 
So we're looking more at it from, okay, we have that field marketing perspective. We're having these events, we're tracking the success that's coming from it, but now it's almost becoming more about having deeper relationships with our cab members, those chili champions, um, looking at the partner rev share, seeing which ones really want to lean in and creating either individual events, or in some cases we have our partner rev share program looks at like net new. So if the opportunity didn't necessarily exist in Salesforce, but they can also influence deals that exist in our pipeline. So I'm looking also at creating, whether it's reference calls or an email or LinkedIn DM, if they've done that, we're actually tracking all the way through to see, hey, did that close turn into revenue? If so, they obviously get a little bit of a cut, but I'm starting to show that in a way we're facilitating these conversations and it's having a true impact on revenue. And these are programs that we're trying to apply across all of our open opportunities, right? So if we can even see a lift of 5, 10, 20% in some cases where these calls are happening, that's where it, I guess the programs that I'm working on in particular, I look at evangelism as how do we create more opportunities where we do have our customers engaging with our prospects? I think they're the best sales reps. So how do I, how do I scale that and show that, that those calls are actually um, increasing close rates or they're helping us break into to net new accounts? Really good. Um, what's the future of this? Uh, I mean, you're investing in it, you know, you're doing the marketing evangelist and kind of exploring and thinking and and publishing on these ideas. Like this, just the fact that you're investing your attention that way uh, suggests that you believe that there's something here. Um, wh what is your hope or expectation for the future of evangelism? This is, this is a great question and it's getting me to pause a little bit. I think another piece that we're really starting to explore is that engaging content piece, right? Um, and I think we're in this area of edutainment, right? Where that has to be educational, entertaining, ideally a mix of both. I think that's how people want to buy. I think that's how people want to be educated. And if it comes from their peers instead of you, I think that's the perfect recipe for the future of evangelism. So I think as marketing teams progress and we go down this path of maybe becoming a media company and informing and educating our, our target market. And they're, they're, we're getting them to think a little bit differently and maybe getting them to laugh or smile at the same time. That to me becomes so powerful and such a powerful brand interaction that that's where we're trying to take our evangelism program um, down that path. And I will probably echo Jen's uh, sentiment as well in terms of in a way this is like the north star of of sales and I think some of the, the the smart sales reps are already doing this they want to become an extension of their their buyers um, the way they think about their business coming at coming with them to maybe different ideas that they haven't necessarily thought of but establishing that credibility first as a trusted advisor because until then um, there still is a little bit of a negative stigma in that, hey, this person has is very self-interested in making this commission. Um, so maybe, we, I don't know. I, now, as I'm talking out loud, Ethan, I was like, is, is the end of sales quote is going to happen? I don't think so. But maybe there is more of a, an army of these evangelists that were not necessarily directly tied to getting that commission. And it's more about having these conversations, more about engaging your customers, creating these environments um, so that your customers and your prospects can, can engage organically. I love it. You just teed up here as we're closing. Uh, so many other conversations we could have. You hit. You opened up media company, which is definitely something we need to be done. In fact, um, I have Anthony Canada. I forget when I'm going to interview mm. him, but soon. So he'll be a couple of episodes behind you of, of Audience Plus. Um, and we'll certainly be talking uh, media brands and, and media companies in that one. You kind of doubled back into something that I did not ask a follow-up question on, although I kind of want to have the conversation, even though we're, we're at the end here, of a personal brand versus company brand. And then you mm -hmm. also introduced the idea of evangelist teams, uh, potentially. So um, a lot of conversations for you and me. Some will be recorded, some of them won't. Uh, before I let you go, Arthur, I'd love for you to share with me and the folks listening and watching, because um, we put up the full conversations on YouTube as well. Um, what is something that you find yourself evangelizing or perhaps that someone has even have accused you of evangelizing in your own personal life? Okay. I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of different things. I don't know why my mind jumped to three things. 
Um, I've recently gone into chess and I'm trying to get a lot of my friends on chess.com. If any listeners message me, I would love to let's start a couple of games. I'm fan- fantasy football junkie. So I'm always probably getting people to, to think a little bit differently, but I think even amongst my, my close friend group, they look at me as the, the LinkedIn guy. Right. And I, I don't think I'm as prolific as some other content creators there, but to me, I've seen how many opportunities it's created for me um, and the importance of connection and networking. It's it's led to so many incredible opportunities. It's led to me messaging you after I read your article and I was like, this is amazing. You've given me so much um, ideas and I think I'm going to pitch this role. It led me to meeting Jen Allen, which of course she got me into this, this chief evangelist group that you host as well. So I can't understand. I think I've lived this, this mantra is like asking you shall receive. I don't think enough people just ask and see what the other side of it is. They typically tend to listen to that negative voice in their head saying, hey, it's not worth it. But so many times I've been surprised authors of books that I've messaged and I've received a response. And I'm like, oh, my God, this this powerful this platform is so freaking powerful if you use it right. And if you look at it from the, the perspective of the community, so I guess in a way I'm evangelizing LinkedIn and the, the power of that platform. I love it. And I love the encouragement. I just want to plus it up really quickly. People want to say yes. People want to help. I found the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was just shocked when I started the customer experience podcast, which was around the same time that I did that guest series on evangelism uh, with Sangram Vajray for Flip My Funnel. Um, mm-hmm. My first six or eight guests said yes to a show that didn't even exist. And these were people like Joseph Jaffe. I had read a couple of his books and Handley, who I greatly respect and is awesome. Like I didn't know them. They didn't know me, but they said yes to a show that didn't exist. And you don't even need a show like people want to help. Um, So I just wanted to plus that up. He is Arthur Castillo. Hit him up on LinkedIn. I am Ethan Butte, B-E-U-T-E. Hit me up on LinkedIn. We would love to connect with you, answer any questions you have. Arthur, you're awesome. I enjoyed this very much. And I look forward to our next conversation. I can't wait, Ethan. You're a great interviewer. And this is, uh, yeah, you're, you're blazing the path for all of us here. Thank you. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.